I am going to get to Haggai, and I'm going to give you plenty of time to turn there. Okay? Hopefully some of you put this beautiful thing in the right spot. Okay? I got to do some awesome things today. Some of you saw me. I got to swim. Oh, we'll see if it holds. I got to swim, right? Got to play. It was fun. Now we get to spend a few minutes thinking about God's Word together. And before we do, I want to just take a moment and pray. Join me, please. Father, we recognize that we have some great staff that are helping take care of our kids tonight, and I start by just thanking you for facilitating that tonight. I also, Father, thank you that we can spend a few moments thinking about truth. Oftentimes when we approach your word, Father, I know I can use it as a, a club and think I'm fixing other people. And I know that often I need to correct my thinking and see it as a mirror. That when I see your word and I consider the life that I live, or the life that we live, that we want to reflect your glory and your word the best we possibly can. That is the least we could do in light of what you have done by sending your son to take care of our sin, to take care of that wrath. And we're grateful. Thank you for a few minutes to look into your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. There are scorecards everywhere, right? How many people did mini golf today? Okay, there's like a few of you. Good. Did, did you keep score? Good for you. My son is a disc golfer. And he, yes, he loves it. And so we're going to National Amateurs in Colorado next month, and he is going to have some tons of fun. And I love watching him. And what's crazy is when I go with them, they're all amateurs, so they all have their dads with them. And you have that dad who makes sure the score is accurate. You also have the other dad that is making sure that the scorekeeper is keeping the correct score. It's crazy. Because the score matters, right? And there's a scorecard for everything. God's word is full of passages of scripture that we use as scorecards. Let me just give you a couple of them when we think through this. A lot of people will go to the Sermon on the Mount and you'll go to Matthew chapter five and you'll see the Beatitudes and you'll go, yeah, I wanna do this, I wanna do this. I want, this is success, this is following Christ. And you'll go through that scorecard and you use that as a scorecard. Other people will go to Galatians chapter 5 and you'll see the fruit of the Spirit and right before it you'll see the fruit of the flesh and you'll be like, ooh, I shouldn't do the fleshly things, right? But I should do the fruits of the Spirit. And that's a scorecard. That's what that practically is. And scorecards are everywhere in Scripture. It's, it's fun to read God's Word and you get to a section and you go, Wow. That's what it means to be godly or to follow Christ. 
maybe I should not do something anymore. And so tonight, I just want to walk through some scorecards that are in Scripture. And I'll get to Haggai chapter 1 at the end of his first message because Haggai actually is giving them a scorecard that they missed. If you remember, through my four sessions, we're going to talk about the blind spots. And a lot of times, one of the things that hits people is that they actually have the wrong scorecard. Correct? Have you heard of that? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So my first series of of points is I want to just walk through Satan's scorecard. Before we dive into Haggai, I want to remind you of some of the tactics that Satan uses to derail you and I. And they're all over the scriptures. The first one is doubt. If Satan can get you to doubt, to question, is God's word the best? In scripture, this happens with Adam and Eve, right? Is that really what God said? James chapter 1 verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea and is driven and tossed by the wind. One of Satan's scorecards for success is to get you to doubt. The second part of Satan's scorecard is fear. Satan tries to get us to be afraid or fear in our lives. If we're fearful, we naturally are probably not trusting God. Jesus said to Peter when he was falling into the water, he said this, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And if Satan can get us to be afraid, He's winning. Thirdly, if Satan can get us to be self-sufficient, when we're self-sufficient, we don't need God. We actually don't need to walk by faith. And actually, we're walking within the flesh. And some of you have experienced this. If some of you teach... Some of us have taught a long time, and we don't even have to read the Sunday school curriculum. And we can wing it for the four and five year olds. Can I just give you a heads up? Even that ministry to four and five year olds needs to be in the spirit and not the flesh. That, that, that's actually Satan winning with the kids in your church. Because his goal, doubt, fear, to get you to be self-sufficient. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, or John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The fourth scorecard is that Satan tries to use us to view what we see. Sight is what I'm calling it, so I put on the screen. What that means is what we see in this physical world. 
There are times when we look at what is happening in the world or in our physical life or on Fox News or on CNN and we get afraid and what we see impacts us. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. We, we have a greater goal. We have a goal that's greater than what we see in this world. We should not be afraid. We actually have the God of the universe on our side and we are serving him. There's this different, right? And if Satan can get you to only live by sight, He's got you. Scorecard for success. In all of these, Satan is trying to delay our walk of faith, delay our ability to trust God, delay our ability to lead. And in Satan's scorecard, if he can get us to doubt, to fear, to live self-sufficient and live by sight, he is winning. Boy, this is the most encouraging message you're going to have all week, right? We're going to end, no. Now I want you to turn to Haggai, chapter one. Haggai, his first message is, is longer, and so we're looking at the second half of his first message. It's found in Haggai 1, verses six through 11. And here you're going to see that Haggai is pointing out that Israel has the wrong scorecard, okay? So as, as I read through it, see what he is pointing out, that they have the wrong scorecard. So it says this, Haggai 1, verses 6 through 11. You have sown much, but bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages and earns wages puts them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? says the Lord of hosts, because my house is in ruins. While every one of you ruin, runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew. The earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains and the grain, the new wine and the oil on whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock, and on all of your labors of your hands. And Haggai here is, in the end of his first message, he is pointing out their blind spot. They had the wrong scorecard. They should have built the temple, but instead they had different priorities. And he said, you looked for a lot, but there wasn't very much there, right? He says, you brought it home. What did God do? Blew it away. He says, you worked really hard. But it seemed like it wasn't very much. You planted crops. And you barely had enough to live by. And verse 9 gives us why. 
Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because my house is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. He's pointing out that their scorecard of success was inaccurate, was not good. Israel's scorecard was to gain, to build their house, to work hard, to plant, to bring in crops. And the heart of Israel was so focused on themselves and what they could gain that they missed the whole point of having a God present with them, the temple. They missed the point that God just wanted a people that loved him and worshiped him. The Israelites in their actions showed what their scorecard was. And what's interesting is when Haggai was preaching this to Israel, you can't lie to God. He knows. There's, there's no faking it. And Israel, if they were going to keep on reaping, they were going to keep on reaping what they were sowing. And they had to choose what was the scorecard that they were going to live by. Satan's tactics, the ones we just talked about, they work, don't they? Some of the hardest times in my life was when I doubted or I was afraid or I lived by sight. Israel's tactics were working and they were reaping what they sowed. And over and over in scripture, there are examples of people who had the wrong scorecard. Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be like everyone else and they sold their land and they gave a portion of it, but not all of it, they lied. What happened to them? Gone, that's probably not the right politically correct way to say it. Gone. Yeah, I'll just say it that way. You think about Revelations chapter 2 and 3 when Christ was talking to the churches. Every one of them, he was mentioning part of their scorecard that was wrong. Uh, turn with me. I, I want to point it out again. It happens in the New Testament so often. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. This is the communion passage. A lot of times when you do communion, you read this passage. So just turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. I, I want to read uh, verse 29 to you. This is right after. So your pastor probably usually reads all the way to 28. But I want to read 29 to you. It says this. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself as discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. Paul is pointing out that even at communion, there are people that go to communion wrong and there's a reason. They have the wrong scorecard. And so what happens to them? He's saying, hey, um, they're reaping what they're sowing. Their scorecard is not accurate. And this is Paul talking to the Corinthians, making sure and helping them understand that when we go to the table, when we go to communion, 
It is about remembering what God did in some amazing ways. Things that just should boggle our minds. It is not just a meal or just a tradition that a church does. And this is the kind of blind spot that Haggai is pointing out. That they needed to judge their actions. They needed to consider their scorecard. And this is their blind spot. They needed a biblical scorecard. And every one of us actually needs to regularly evaluate what's our scorecard for success. We all have one. Every one of you in this room have a scorecard. You have in your mind what you think is a, what a successful Christian should do. You have in your mind what a successful Sunday school teacher, successful pastor, successful in every way. Israel's scorecard was to provide for his family, eat, housing, safety from their enemies. And from that scorecard, they define success. And Haggai is saying to them, no, it is about God. It is about worshiping him, that he wants to be present with his people. Build the temple. And we do this all the time. And I want to give you two, little, two personal illustrations. I serve at a church, Good News Baptist Church. And I wrote my annual letter a lot of pastors do this. I wrote my annual letter last year. And at the beginning of my annual letter, this is what I told them. Attendance is down 20%. Giving is down about 22%. People going to ABF classes or Sunday school or Bible studies is also down about 25%. Boy, it's a great way to start a letter, right? That's when the pastor doesn't want to write his annual letter because he sees all those things. And a lot of times we view church as success by the three B's. Bucks, butts, buildings. <laughs> and so as long as we increase in one of those, we're doing great. And guess what? In my annual letter last year, we were a failure. And if your standard, your scorecard for success is the three Bs, guess what? Good News Baptist Church failed last year. But if the scorecard is different, you look at the year totally different. And I want to tell you three things we did last year. My deacons felt it was very important to try to get every person in our church to do a one another regularly. And so they concocted, and I don't say that disrespectfully, they concocted a program where we got 80% of our people monthly doing and living out a one another of the scriptures. On top of that, at our Thanksgiving service, where we give praises and, and say... I had people in droves coming to the stage saying, God did this. I was able to bring this meal to this widow. I was able to go visit this person in the hospital. And in our church family, 80% of people practiced a one another one time a month. Holy cow. That was awesome. 
Do you know how many people got visited in our church last year? Do you know how many problems were taken care of before it even got to me? And this is because my deacons had a passion. We want our people. Our scorecard of success is that we practice the one another's of scripture. And they were a success. The second thing we did, my group of trustees, which is our facility people, we had to redo bathrooms. And it's one thing to redo bathrooms, but it's another thing to get people involved. And oftentimes it's easier to just pay somebody to do it, right? 42 people in our church together helped accomplish our bathroom project. So when we praised the Lord for our bathroom project, it was because 42 people together served and made that happen. On top of that, eight years ago, Bethany Christian Services, which is our social service area uh, provider in Grand Rapids, they came to us and said, hey, there's some Congolese refugees. And they claim to be Baptist, and there is not a Baptist church that's helping Congolese refugees. And they said, we just need a church to love these people. Meaning, help them get them to the grocery store, help them do whatever's needed. We provide for them, we give them housing, but we need just... Somebody in the community take care of them. Well, we have been doing this for years. And in January, we met with them, and there's 60 of them that attended our church. They don't speak English, but I am their pastor. And they come to church because I am their pastor. They sit in the back corner. It's so much fun. And so in January, we started talking to them because they amassed a lot of people. Like 60 people is a lot. And we wanted to serve them and help them reach their community. That was one of our initiatives. And we sat down with them and they said, well, we just want a prayer service. And so we're like, well, we're not into prayer services like that way. We are doing things to reach community. We are trying to reach people for Christ. Would you consider actually starting a church? One of the guys rose his hand, Pastor Felician. He's like, I got trained at the Baptist University in Congo, and I would love to be the pastor of that church. We sent out 60 people December 1st of last year to start Gate Baptist Church. If the scorecard are the three Bs, we failed. And we did in that regard. If the scorecard is different, would you call Good News Baptist Church a success last year? This is what I mean by scorecard. You have to have the right one. And oftentimes, God opens your eyes to blind spots where you have the wrong scorecard. Here's my personal illustration. When I, my wife and I, when we turned 29, I said to her, I said, you know, it'd be really nice to have our last kid because if we turn 30, then by 50, they're all out of the house. Totally. And he gave us Ruby. She's with us this week. She was born normal. We didn't know anything was different. By the age of 18 months, she, we started seeing developmental problems. And Right before she turned three, she heard she had her grand mole seizure. She is an epileptic. She has five different kinds of seizures. 
And every night when she would have seizures overnight, she would forget everything she learned that day. She still sleeps in Jenny and I's bedroom with us. At that point, we didn't know a whole lot about epilepsy and autism and seizures, and you just learn a lot. And God, in his awesome foreknowledge, decided that Grand Rapids needed to be the place where childhood neurology needed to be taken care of 10 years ago. And we had the best doctors in the nation 15 minutes from our house. It was awesome. And we didn't know what was going on, but for five years, Ruby was basically a child that only had 50 words that she could say. We would have between five and 10 regular seizures a day, and we could not control her problems. It was rough. Jenny couldn't go to church a whole lot, or if she did, it was always caring for Ruby. Like, like it was fun. <laughs> That's not the right word. And God in his brought a surgeon to Grand Rapids, and they started doing brain surgeries on her. And they, the first one, they took the first three centimeters of her left temporal lobe. The second time, they took the next three. And you would never know she's disabled right now because you can have a normal conversation with her. Yeah, there's, she's like a four-year-old. But I will never forget that my scorecard when I was turning 30 was not accurate. And that God is the one who chooses my scorecard. Through Ruby, he's, it's allowed us to get into the public school system. It's allowed us to get to a group of people that no one has access to unless you really are part of the community. And it's awesome. I would never trade it for anything. And so when we talk about biblical scorecards and the blind spots of them, every one of us at some point needs to evaluate what really is success in your mind. Personally, at church, your walk with God, it, it dictates what you think is right. And it means something. This is what Haggai was pointing out. Because Israel had the wrong scorecard, they missed it. So, so my big idea, big idea, the thing you got to remember, it's written in your books. We must consider our ways and have the right scar scorecard. And I want to give you what the right scorecard in general should be. That's my last thing tonight. Because I want you to realize not just what's wrong, but we got to say, what is the right scorecard? What should be based on? And what the basis of our scorecard, it should be what is absolutely critical to God. And I would summarize it by two things, which is the greatest commandments. One, your scorecard, the right one, it needs to be centered on how you love God. It has to be. It has to be founded in that. Good News Baptist Church, by teaching people to love one another, to serve together, to reach their community, those are all under those two things of loving God and loving others. And I would really encourage you when you think about this and talk about this with your family, you have to have the right scorecard. You have to. Because if you don't, 
I'll tell you from my experience, God will correct it. And he will get you back on track. Because God is never mocked. He always knows. So, what's the correct scorecard? Here we go. What's the correct scorecard? What is it founded on? Hint, hint, hint. It's on the screen. Right? Number one is love God. Number two is love others. And so I'm going to encourage you in your groups when you talk, it has to be founded on that. If you need ideas and what that looks like, happy to share them with you. God has taught my wife and I a lot over the years with regards to making sure our scorecards are correct. Let me pray for you. Father, you are good and you are holy and you are righteous and we love you and we want to honor you with our lives. And we know that that means more than just that we go to church or we go to camp or they have a, kids in a Christian school. It means that our lives need to be centered on and the success is surrounded by a passion to love you and a passion to love others. And I pray that out of, as we think about this in the small groups and with families and stuff, Lord, I pray that you would help us to really evaluate the right scorecard and that you would teach us how to honor you more and love you more. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.